0: Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm here with Professor Helen Christensen from the Black Dog Institute in Australia, uh, who's just given a brilliant keynote here at the conference in Derry. So um, loads of questions I had, Helen, from her talk. But the first one, what is digital phenotyping and how do you think it can help young people um, at risk of suicide?
1: Digital phenotyping really is um, using sensor data from usually smartphones or sensors to build up a picture of the behavior of a person. And so it's called a phenotype because it's not a genotype, but it actually represents something about that person that's been built up by collecting that information, parsing it and analyzing it.
0: So what are you doing? You presented this kind of platform that you're building currently. First, so first of all, you said that we went to industry and we tried to see if we could get them to... And that was a really telling thing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I can imagine you're in these meetings with Google or, you know... Yeah. Now we're quite happy the way things are, thank you very much. So you're building it yourselves?
1: Ah uh, yes. Yeah, so basically, um, there's a couple of reasons for trying to build it ourselves. First of all, as far as we know... Um, There's not equity here in smartphone sensors, and so we wanted to build something for iOS as well as for Android. So there are companies who are doing the Android um, data collection, but we couldn't find people who would be able to do the iOS as well. Uh, and we didn't really want to build in ourselves, we wanted to collaborate, um, so, but that was difficult. And we also wanted to uh, keep the material ourselves on our centres, because we're linking it with other information, even genetic information, healthcare data, um, self-report data, educational outcomes for some of the studies.
0: So tell us a bit about the platform, the kind of data you're collecting, where you're getting it from, and how you, what your vision is for kind of feeding that into research that can help answer some of these questions.
1: Yeah, thanks for that question, because I think the platform is essentially... Um, something that we'll be able to collect data and we can use artificial intelligence on it. Um, The sensors that we're using are passive sensors, so um, accelerometry, typing speed, things that you can get from um, the the smartphone that people can carry around all the time, location data, activity data. We're also getting um, self-report data, so people respond to self-report measures. Um, We're also getting voice Um, collection under controlled conditions so we're not listening to what people are saying all the time we're actually asking people to respond to a particular stimulus because it's been shown that depression does seem to be associated with different voice tone Um, and we're also measuring cognitive functioning uh, things like digit backwards and um, kind of categorization tasks that people can do because they are reflective really of people's cognitive functioning which can change in depression And there's a huge amount of
0: interest in digital interventions, you know, as a scalable way of getting to people, but also as a potentially cost-saving way of getting to people. Mm. Um, Not that much with digital and suicide, and I mean, for me that makes sense because suicide being such a rare event, you have to have massive numbers to do these kind of research studies. Why do you think that is though? Why do you think most of the digital health stuff so far is focused on other conditions?
1: I think there's a certain level of courage that you take on if you're going to put out a digital intervention and put it out there in the wild. Um, there seems to be a lot of criticism or potential criticism that you might be making things worse or that you're not providing good duty of care to people. Um Our view about that is that it's probably more ethical to actually get those out if they are effective than not, you know. So sticking your head in the ground about somebody being at risk of suicide without offering something seems um, not necessarily the right response.
0: And in mental health we have this history of, I think it's not just mental health, it's right across healthcare, of doing things before we have the evidence to do them. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness I think is a great example. Um, digital health is also a wonderful example you know we 've got tens of thousands of health apps out there, but one or two of them have actually got reliable, robust research showing they 're effective. How do we deal with a situation where mm. the technology is way ahead of the science
1: I think that 's really one of the big questions that we have to look at, but there are changes now through industry and government requiring that for example there 's some um, TGA processes um, that Um, require quality and um, evidence of effectiveness so I think some of the apps are now moving into the medical devices field and there's much more stringent um, kind of quality control around it. How it's all going to pan out I'm not quite sure but I think part of the problem at the moment is there are no incentives for industry to get really behind this because obviously there's a commercial um, component to them and at the moment if you can't if nothing's registered or found, you know, to be of some worth or other, then it takes a lot for people to actually invest money in them.
0: Whenever I see your stuff and stuff from Black Dog Institute pop up in research, you know, recent publications that I see, I'm always, I always have that sense of um, this is going to be good, this is going to be reliable, this is going to be good quality mm-hmm. and relevant. So, But that's not always the case. I wonder... Um, you know, a lot of the time you talk to digital health researchers and developers, they kind of poo-poo the idea of RCTs being a very difficult thing to do, huge mm-hmm. cost, huge time. Mm-hmm. How do you see research methods evolving so that we can more e- efficiently measure safety and effectiveness of these interventions? Yeah,
1: I think that we do have to kind of advance our methodology. You know, sort of use lean methodologies, but at the same time. Randomised control trials, I think, are fantastic in suicide prevention because suicide ideation is very, very changeable. And so, you know, you you are going to get a change. You're going to get a decrease in suicide ideation in pretty much anything that you do. So you've really got to compare it to control. Um, I think we're moving on now that we have um, ecological momentary assessment to be doing more like ABA. B-type designs, um, where you can actually see if something's effective, and then the person no longer responds when they're not getting the um, intervention. But again, that's a problem because you get carryover. You know, you can get one trial learning sometimes, and um, taking that away from a the person, they still preserves it. Preserve it. So, you know, I'm still a randomized controlled trials person, unfortunately.
0: And tell us about Jack. So Jack was this kind of. Uh, imagine a teenager, nice to see a, a human being and a talk about digital intervention
1: <laughs> Yeah, uh, well Jack um, was just a device really to describe, you know, your 18, 15 year old who was anxious, your 18 year old who was depressed, who 21, had maybe dropped out of the workforce, wasn't working, had maybe not finished education, was finding life pretty tough and wasn't satisfied and had, um, you know, days when he felt that his life wasn't worth living and he would rather be off, better off dead. And then the characteristics of Jack are pretty clear. You know, he's not likely to be seeking help. Um, he, We can't predict and he can't predict if he's going to have a mental health problem. Um, as I've said, if he saw um, 13 reasons why, he'd have an even higher chance of being suicidal. Um, so it's really just a way of describing this is how um, young people are now and that our traditional care um, systems aren't necessarily doing the best by young people and that we really have to have a different way of looking about um, something like mental illness, which can be chronic. And it's really, I think, about empowerment of people, um, putting tools in their hands so that they can manage their mental health better and they can preempt um, whether things are going to turn awry or not.
0: And what do you think needs to be done to balance out, in terms of the pros and the cons of digital technology? Because obviously there's huge harms associated with them as well. Yeah.
1: Well, I think digital technologies are here to stay. And I think overuse of screen time and, you know, using these devices, um, you know, for cyberbullying and for media um, kind of dissemination of stories that are likely to be harmful and so on is something that we do have and I think part of that control around that has to be to do with companies that are allowing this sort of information to be put out and also teaching young people to educate themselves pretty much about how to be safe with technology as well.
0: Well please keep publishing the amazing research and we will keep blogging about it Uh Uh, and yeah thanks a lot for sharing with us.
1: Oh thank you, thank you for interviewing me. It's great, thank you.